0: You're listening to the sermon podcast of Parkside Church of Christ, a church with Christ, with each other, and with our community in Dearborn Heights, Michigan. For more information about our church, you can visit us at our Facebook page or at our website, parksidecoc.org. It's Uh, As some of you know, has been for as long as YouTube has been around full of videos where people uh, take clips from movies and usually cartoons and add uh, music and lyrics to them basically making their own music videos and I have always wondered Who are these people? Uh, What kind of person takes the time to make a video like this and then this year happened And suddenly, I am that kind of person apparently. It seems like every Sunday I'm bringing some new little video that I was tinkering around with to share with you all on a Sunday morning. And to set up uh, the story that we're going to hear from Exodus this week, I put together another little video featuring images from, one more time, the Prince of Egypt, and a cover uh, version of probably the most famous song from that movie. A few weeks ago I mentioned how I keep coming back to this song this year and this happened again this week as I reflected on everything that is happening right now including the fact that today is to the day the six-month anniversary of the day everything shut down around here uh, kicking off this season that we are still well in the midst of. On its face this song will understandably strike a lot of people as a kind of Disney-ish song about the magical power of belief. Maybe even uh, about the things that you can accomplish when you believe in yourself. And the chorus is kind of like that. But as you listen to the words, especially at the verse and the bridge of this song, especially in the context of the actual story that it tells, I think you're going to notice that this song is much more like a psalm, like we find in the Bible, like a Disney pop song. Uh, There is doubt mixed with faith in this song, Uh, the prayers of longing and prayers of praise. And so let me encourage you as we watch this video and listen to this song to pay attention to the words and to listen for the ways God might be already speaking to us in surprising ways through this pretty popular song. So let's watch this video together and then we'll hear today's reading from Exodus
1: 15. We've prayed With no proof anyone could hear In our hearts a hopeful song We barely understood Now we are not afraid Although we know there's much to fear We were moving mountains low Before we knew we could went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters of the sea back over them. But the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. Then Miriam the prophet, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine in her hand and with all the women followed her with tambourines and dancing. Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea.
0: Exodus 14 and 15 describe the biggest moment in Israel's history, probably the most important scene in the entire Hebrew Bible. It's a story that they'll keep coming back to over and over again, the defining act of the whole drama. It's huge, climactic, and iconic, and I think the sermon I'm expected to preach on this text Is meant to focus on that, on the image of the waters parting and God setting God's people free. But as I read through this story again this week, the spectacle of the splitting sea and the drowning of Pharaoh's army wasn't what grabbed my attention. And I wasn't all that moved by Moses's song either, as powerful and poetic as it is. Uh, The thing that really grabbed me, the thing that I just can't let go of, are those last few verses at the very end after the waters collapse in on themselves and settle down and after Moses does his big celebration when Miriam the prophet picks up her tambourine and sings her song everything about that sentence sparks my curiosity starting with the fact that Miriam is referred to as a prophet this isn't a title that gets thrown around often in the Bible, especially at this point in the story. In fact, Miriam is only the third person so far to be called a prophet. It's Abraham, her brother, and her. In the centuries to come, that list is gonna get a lot longer as names like Samuel, Deborah, Daniel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, John, Anna, and Jesus get added to the lineup. It's a pretty star-studded list, but for now, It's just the father of all God's people, the first and most famous priest, and Miriam. And this got me thinking about what Miriam has done to earn this title of prophet. The Bible doesn't tell us much about Miriam, but if we're looking for a stereotypical prophetic moment where she foretells the future, we're not going to find it. Of course, we're not going to find that for lots of the biblical prophets because It's not really what prophecy is. As the old slogan goes, prophecy in the Bible isn't about foretelling as much as it's about forthtelling. In other words, prophets aren't known for predicting the future, but for publicly proclaiming God's truth in the present. Prophets typically say not, here is what's going to happen, but instead, here is how things really are. If I could sum up the typical prophetic message in just one sentence, it'd probably be things aren't the way they're meant to be, but God is at work making all things new. I think you could hold that sentence up to the story of Isaiah or Deborah or John the Baptist, and it'd match up pretty well. But I'm having a hard time finding anything like that in the story of Miriam. There's lots we don't know about Miriam so it's totally possible that she's done or said prophetic things that aren't recorded here, but the only thing we know about her so far, the only story she's appeared in at all up to this point, was back at the Nile when Moses was a baby. And you could make the case that her role in that story was prophetic, that By bearing witness to the plight of her brother and to the deliverance of God and by speaking up on behalf of the oppressed and speaking truth to power, little Miriam was a a sort of prototype prophetic prodigy. But even if that's the case, that was a long time ago. She was a kid back then, and she's in her late 80s here. I know she didn't look that old in the clip we just watched, but it's just a cartoon. there probably weren't whales in the Red Sea either. My point is, Miriam doesn't strike me as an obvious prophet. But as mysterious as her prophetic title is, I was just as curious about a far less significant detail in this scene. The fact that when Miriam begins to sing and dance in celebration, she pulls out a tambourine. Now, if any of you long-time Church of Christ people are worried that this is about to turn into a sermon about musical instruments one way or the other, let me assure you it is not. I may have grown up in a church where tambourines, and prophecy for that matter, were every Sunday staples, but I really don't have any interest in slipping that into our church. I've really come to like the simple hospitality of our musical tradition. I mean, I even found an cappella version of the Prince of Egypt song So you know that's not a rabbit that I care to chase. The reason I find the sudden introduction of a tambourine here so fascinating isn't musical, it's symbolic and also practical. I mean, here we have a group of people urgently leaving for a long journey with really limited storage space. Who packs a tambourine for a trip like that? The correct answer is, of course, Pentecostal moms. But that's about it. Most of you don't get that joke, and that's fine, but a few of you are either laughing or checking to make sure your tambourine is currently off-camera. So that's for the three or four of you. The truth is, a tambourine is a strange thing to prioritize in a crisis. And it's also a strange thing to own when you are enslaved in Egypt. Tambourines are symbolically linked to joy and to celebration, to to victory and dancing. So it makes a lot of sense that Miriam would whip out a tambourine here in this moment of jubilation, but it still makes me wonder, where did she get that thing in the first place? How long has she had it? And when, if ever, has she had an opportunity to play it before? Maybe that day her baby brother got rescued from the Nile, but been a lifetime of waiting and laboring and lamenting since then. The songs of Miriam and her people haven't been tambourine music in a long, long time. And yet, she packed one anyway. In this long, uncertain season of waiting and in this anxious, dangerous moment of crisis, Miriam carried a tambourine a symbol of hope for what will be in the midst of what is. I can picture her glancing at that instrument as a younger woman in her tiny home in Egypt, holding out hope in the midst of her doubts, thinking, I'm gonna need that thing one day. I can picture her as an older woman on the night of the Passover, pulling a bag of flour out of her backpack to make room for her tambourine, making space for joy in the midst of her sorrow. I can hear the muffled jingle of the little timbrels in her pack as she hurries through the parted waters pursued by Pharaoh's soldiers. In every extended and acute crisis, in every moment of grief and fear, she carries this tiny token of promised hope until finally After decades of praying and longing, this faithful old woman pulls out her tambourine in the desert and performs a solo 80 years in the making. I love the way Beth Moore describes this scene. She's kind of famous for saying that when faith journeys into the wilderness, it packs a tambourine. By this, I think she means that faith is believing in a future beyond our current uncertainty, a trust that salvation and celebration are coming even when our present circumstances tell us otherwise. But if I can push Beth Moore's comments even further, I think what she says about faith could easily be said about faithfulness. Faithfulness is carrying our tambourine into the desert, holding tight to God's future, in the midst of our present. But even further beyond that, this tambourine also strikes me as a profoundly prophetic symbol, as an instrument that prophesies just by showing up in this scene. And nothing says things aren't the way they're meant to be, but God is at work making all things new, like owning a tambourine in slavery like carrying a tambourine into the wilderness. The simple choice to pack this item is an act of forth a proclamation of God's truth in challenging times. Now, I'm not saying that carrying this tambourine is the reason Miriam is called a prophet. I'm just saying that this is the sort of thing a prophet would do, as is dancing on the banks of the sea as is singing the word of God and leading the people of God as they join in. In her moment of deliverance, in her decades of waiting, and everywhere in between, everywhere this tambourine followed her, Miriam subtly publicly demonstrated the often hidden truth of who God is and what God is up to in the world. And that, I believe, is our calling too, in this time and in this place. And in our unique new circumstances, God is extending the same invitation as ever, calling us to live faithful, prophetic lives in chaotic, uncertain times, to carry our tambourines as we travel into our wilderness. And in case the metaphor is getting a little fuzzy here, I wanna be clear, I am not talking about an empty hopefulness or a determined optimism. This isn't a sermon about the power of belief. There will be miracles whether or not we believe. Our belief, our faith and our prophetic faithfulness is simply our participation in the thing that God is doing with or without us. It's our joining in the life of the Spirit who has already joined in our life. That is the tambourine I keep talking about. This thing that we hold on to in the midst of our crises is nothing other than the presence of the Spirit of God, the, the gift of God's future here in our present. Paul calls the Spirit a down payment of our inheritance and a foretaste of God's future glory and a deposit guaranteeing what's to come and even an engagement ring. So... I think I'm in good company when I say, as strange as it might sound, that God's Spirit is our tambourine in the desert. The presence of the Spirit is the source of our hope, the marker of God's promise, and the means by which we celebrate God's salvation. The promise and presence of the Spirit is the reason we can walk faithfully into the journey ahead without giving in to despair or to denial, which is why I have honestly been kind of discouraged lately to see so many Christians, often including myself, embrace one of those two poles. On the one hand, many of us are drawn to a certain sort of denial that says, in essence, things aren't so bad. Life in Egypt is fine. All of that oppression and injustice talk is overblown, and I am not buying into all of these plague stories. I'm all right. You're all right. Everything is all right. On the other hand, many of us lean the other way right now, all the way into despair, not just recognizing that everything is not all right, but coming to believe that everything is irreparably broken, that everything has gone wrong in a way that just can't be saved. It's a despair that says there is no exodus. There is only Egypt, no promised land, just plague. And I can understand why we drift off into either of those options, because they're both natural reactions to anxious times, but both Prevent us from stepping out into the work of God in our time and place. One presents illusion and the other disillusion but neither frees us up for movement. But thank God we have an alternative to those two poles. We have a spirit-filled hope that draws us into participation in God's restoration and reconciliation through the prophetic presence of the Spirit, we can see clearly what is. Both the brokenness of creation and the inbreaking of God's new creation. Like God's people in Egypt, we are being drawn up from despair. And like Moses in the river, we are being drawn up from denial. And yes, I am very proud of that pun. Here's the thing. Some or all of us might die before we see God make all things right. But we will live to see God's future. Think about it this way. Miriam made it out of Egypt, right? But she never saw the promised land. She saw her brother delivered from the Nile and her people delivered through the sea. But she won't be there when her descendants are delivered through the Jordan. And yet, she carried that tambourine and the hope it proclaimed out into the desert because the spirit within her, the spirit that made her a prophet, promised a salvation beyond what she could see or even imagine. And through the power of Christ and his resurrection, she will someday lead us and sing a song of God's deliverance once and for all. In the meantime, we are being invited to pick up her tambourine, to hold fast to the spirit of hope, and to join God in the wilderness, proclaiming with our words, songs, and actions to each other and to our neighbors that things aren't the way they're meant to be, but God is at work making all things new.